Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. Let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Corinthians as we continue our study of uh, God's Word together there. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You can turn to 2 Corinthians and uh, you can take that Bible home with you as a gift from us to you. And uh, certainly glad to uh, walk in God's Word together. So as you're turning there, uh, it is amazing as we think about God's... uh, God's strength in the midst of our weakness. We have seen that in so many ways in 2 Corinthians, and really as we come to this passage of Scripture especially, how helpful it is to think of the new life that we have in Christ. And we really do like things that are new, right? You get something that's new and you want to keep it that way. That's why we buy fresh car, new car smell, uh, air fresheners for cars that are 25 years old. We like to clean the shoes up. We want them to look as good as New, right? We want all these things to last and to, as we enjoy them in that way, that it would stir us all the more to delight in the newness of things. But as we come to this passage of Scripture here today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, what we see are, and really are reminded of is that in Christ we genuinely do have new life and that along with that new life comes a new mission. So grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, and read with me, if you will, all the way down through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, stir in our hearts an ever-increasing joy and delight in Christ. Father, that we would know and enjoy new life in Christ. And Father, that we would know and enjoy the mission and ministry that you have laid out in front of us. Father, that in all things and in every way, may Christ be magnified. May your spirit bring conviction and clarity upon our hearts, all to the glory of the Father. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. So by the time we get to this point in 2 Corinthians, we've come a long way, right? Talking about the God of all comfort and the God who raises the dead and the God who is always triumphant and the God who shapes our lives and the God who calls us and really commands us, do not lose heart, that we have heavenly hope and that even from last week that we are living persuasive lives controlled by the love of Christ. And so it's from that that we have this jumping off point to talk about new life in Christ. So he says in verse 16, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
that even the phrase from now on indicates that there has been some kind of a change that has taken place. We use this kind of phrasing when we talk about all manner of things. Maybe you're talking to your children, and it's like, thus far you have managed to avoid your vegetables, but from now on, you will eat them. We do this in terms of, thus far you have said things in this way, but from now on, your tone is going to change. Thus far, your habits have looked like this, but from now on, I want them to look this way. And as we think about how this connects with the preceding passage and we think of the love of Christ at work in our hearts, controlling us and leading us and guiding us, that the love of Christ has changed the way in which we look at one another. From now on, therefore, on the basis of the love of Christ, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to outward appeal. Because we all know good and well that what you see is not necessarily what you get. And what he's ultimately doing is he's making application of even other passages of Scripture like in 2 Corinthians 4.18 as we think about the things that are unseen and are eternal. But see, it's hard for us not to do this, not to regard one another and other people in general according to the flesh. We do it all the time. We organize people in our own minds. We organize people in terms of their, you know, their build. Maybe you're muscular, maybe you're skinny, maybe you're not skinny, maybe you're tall, maybe you're, you know, you got a full head of hair, maybe you're lacking in that area, right? Maybe you're really professional, or maybe you're really casual, or maybe you're really sporty, or maybe you're really trendy, or maybe you like this kind of music, or maybe your shoes are this way. We have all these sort of organizational patterns, let alone when we get into football season and it just becomes its own thing. We've got all these ways of organizing people, regarding one another according to the flesh. The love of Christ teaches us to no longer regard the external distinctions as primary. There is more to know, and that's better. That we, in part, one of the ways in which we enjoy new life in Christ is that he has reshaped the way in which we see Everything around us, which prepares our hearts for the ministry that he has given us. We all know good and well that it's easy to pose a photo and put it out there and it's not always reality. It's very easy to put on the veneers of having everything put together when on the inside it's hiding hearts in need of hope. The love of Christ changes our view that we are not ultimately regarding anyone according to the flesh. Even though, as he says in verse 16, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You think about before the Apostle Paul's conversion, how he thought of Jesus. He's like, who is this teacher who disregards the pharisaical tradition of the law? Who is this teacher who seems to gather about himself near about anybody he can find to be his disciples? Who is this guy who seems to be friends with all of the wrong people? Who is this guy who died on a cross like a criminal, cursed? Who is this? And see, all of us, we're just like this before Christ. It didn't sound the same because we weren't gauging the flesh in the same way, but we did regard Christ 
according to his own physical reality. We're not denying the fact that he was a teacher, but hey, he was just a good teacher. That's about it. Maybe he helped some people with some physical needs, but forgive sin. What are we talking about there? Maybe he's just some sort of teacher guy and some sort of somebody from long ago who can give me whatever I want. That's not why he came, is it? You say, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Oh, but we regard him thus no longer. We used to, but no more. Isn't it shocking to think that in our own arrogance, we would find ourselves in a position where we thought ourselves qualified to size up Jesus? Isn't it shocking to think that there are people in this very room for whom that's the trajectory of your own life? You're living your life on the basis of how you've sized Jesus up and you don't see him as worthy of your worship or anything else for that matter. Maybe you've heard the rumors, but maybe you're thinking that your life is just too big of a mess, that there couldn't possibly be hope for you, there couldn't possibly be help, there couldn't possibly be redemption. Oh, don't regard him this way any longer. Because once our perception is changed, then we really get to enjoy new life in Christ. When you see somebody as more than just the physical presence right in front of you, then you really get to enjoy them. That when you see your children as more than just, hey, these are my rugrats. No, these are your precious gifts from God. That you get to know them in their personalities and they get to stand up here and make announcements and talk about lawnmowers and leaf blowers and jackhammers and everything else. What a personality. What an unseen joy. I mean, if you only think of your spouse as some sort of trophy, as a trophy wife or a trophy husband, or maybe you think of yourself that way for some reason, you miss the great delight of the love and laughter and joy that's found in marriage itself. If we regard Jesus incorrectly, we will miss out on the joy of knowing him. Puny notions lead to puny expectations, and puny expectations lead to puny enjoyment. Enjoy Jesus. Don't regard him according to the flesh any longer. Regard regard him in the fact that he's fully God and fully man, that he really did live in the flesh, but he lived in the flesh and lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, went to the cross and died our real death, endured our real hell for all who would repent and believe so that he would really give real life. He really did then rise from the grave. He really lives. Regard him in that way. Son of God, son of man, agent of all creation. Savior, shepherd, redeemer, reconciler, and Lord, the joy of our salvation, the hope giver, the life giver, the grace giver, the mercy giver, he who is kindness and holiness and comfort and care and righteousness and truth. Don't regard him according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. He changes everything. In other words, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. On the basis of how we know who Christ is and our hearts have been transformed by his grace, real knowledge of him, then we can really enjoy him. If anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. Anyone. Whatever your background may be, no matter what your backstory may be, no matter how entrenched in the darkness you may be or have been, the power of Christ is sufficient to transform anyone. If anyone is in Christ. We see this phrase, in Christ, all over the place in the New Testament. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to know Him, to submit to Him through repentance and faith, to believe that who He is and what He's done has actually taken place, that we belong to Him. We have been born again by the Spirit, alive in Christ, with that we are in His flock, we are in His grasp, we are in His care, we are in His love, we are covered by His grace, and He is our Savior, so we know Him for who He is, not our own ideas. We're not picking up little things from documentaries here and there and being like, well, I'm just going to read this into the Bible. No, we want to take him as he's revealed himself. Because just like you wouldn't want somebody to put some words into your mouth in the midst of your own introductions, how dare we ever do the very same thing to Jesus Christ? He says, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. I mean, even the phrasing itself is a biblical expectation of a changed life. Jesus did not die on the cross to make over the misery of your own unrepentance. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to transform your life. He gives new life. That's why Jesus described it as being born again. And that this would be a present reality to be enjoyed right now. That all of the baggage of the former life was left at the departure gate. In Christ, you're a new person with a new heart and new desires and new affections and new delights. We can talk about all these new things that we enjoy, and rightly so. You enjoy getting the new phone, and you enjoy getting the new car, and enjoy getting the new house. Maybe you enjoy getting a new job, or your new shoes, or your new this, or your new that, new restaurant in town. Enjoy new life in Christ. Let all of those things be a reminder of the newness in Christ that we ought especially to enjoy. That the old is gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All that misery and hopelessness and the darkness that we just toddled around in, thinking that we could find our way out and we never did, all that condemnation is gone. All that former way of seeing everything is gone. We are new in Christ. The new has come. Enjoy it. Enjoy all the new affections where you just love Christ and you love others because Christ first loved you. Enjoy holiness and walking in holiness because in doing so, you're becoming ever increasingly more like Christ. Enjoy this new way of living with new aims and new purposes and new trajectory where all of it is to the glory of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Enjoy all of the new reality of understanding what is right and what is wrong according to him, that he's the the designer, he's the giver, he's the one who's in charge, and we just enjoy submitting to he who is such a glorious, loving, kind, merciful, and sovereign Lord that we see life as our own expression of his providence and that we ought to look and be amazed 
at new life in Christ. And we are. That's why we like listening to testimonies. That's why we like listening to the stories of other people talk about being transformed by Christ. Where even their own self-perception was, all I was, I was just a drunk. But now I'm a child of the King. And I'm an heir of promise because Christ has redeemed me. I was just a kid. Oh, but in Christ, you're an ambassador. Just some lady. No, now you're a daughter of the king, clothed in his righteousness, like the purity of his bride. Enjoy new life in Christ and live. Enjoy new life in Christ and live on mission as he describes it. He says all this, all of it is from God. He is the source, which means we did not earn it. We did not accomplish it. We did not change ourselves. This is not, you know, our own little however many step program of reforming ourselves. This is God transforming us from the inside out, changing us, shaping us, giving us new life. All of this is from God. Notice how he describes this. Who, God the Father, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The mere fact that he brings this up assumes that we all need to be reconciled to God because we do. Without Christ, we are not only in an unreconciled relationship with the Father, but without Christ, we are at war with God. We have set ourselves up as rebels and enemies against God Almighty if you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord. Yet through Christ, God in His grace reconciled us to Himself. As one theologian describes this, he says to turn, to, reconciliation is turning a state of alienation, hostility, apartness into a state of intimate, affectionate, harmonious togetherness on a permanent basis. We need this. Because in our own sin nature, we are in opposition to God. We are in darkness by our own nature, which then flows out in all of our action. We are corrupted to the core. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are condemned already, which is what Jesus said in John chapter 3. We are at enmity with God, and yet in Christ we are reconciled to the Father. Now we have to all acknowledge that reconciliation is not an easy task. It is a difficult thing because reconciliation, if it's going to be genuine, has to deal with the root cause of the hostility. So if in a marriage relationship and you're trying to reconcile, you've got to deal with the root cause of the hostility. If it's a parent-child relationship, you've got to deal with the root cause of the hostility. If it's something going on at work, you've got to deal with the root cause of the hostility. This is exactly what God has done in sending Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who is our substitute and our Savior, who dealt with our sin, 
who lived in perfect righteousness and was tempted in every way as we are, who fulfilled the law on our behalf, who died on the cross bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. We'll talk about more of that in a second. And it's all a gracious gift. But see, if we, if we slow down and think through what's being described here, this is as though we went to court and we stood before the judge knowing good and well that we were guilty, that our rap sheet was a mile long and there was no way out of this. And yet the judge sent his son to pay our penalty then it, the judge invites us over to his house and says, by the way, not only are you no longer my enemy, now you're my child. Amen. What an amazing God we have. And so when we see that, then we see the ministry that's laid out in front of us and he gave us the ministry, the service of reconciliation. A new life of engaging in ministry that we are saved by grace through faith it's a free gift of God so that no one may boast, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we would walk in. He has given this to us, and so we serve in this ministry of reconciliation, and that's so we're aiming to see people reconciled to God, whether that's people in the 1040 window and the most unreached places on the planet or whether it's the unreached people that you share a house with, share a street with, share an office with. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation and that we ought to be honored to serve. He goes on to describe it this way in verse 19. He says, that is the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He gets to the heart of what this ministry is. But we have to see that God did this long before we cared at all. We love him because he first loved us. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And that when we think of that, there's so many big, glorious things about Jesus embedded even in that phrase. Of thinking of Jesus as the Messiah. He's the, he's the full and final revelation of the truth. He is our great high priest who is not only the one through whom we have access to the Father, he is also the offering himself. He is our king who rules forever as the eternal king, as he has always been. He is all of that, but he's more. You think of the hypostatic union, the union of the two natures of Christ, that he is fully God and he is fully man because only as fully God could he endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin and only as fully man could he actually be our substitute and he's both and what we see here is that we have righteousness his righteousness his proven obedience imputed to us and given as a gift through faith in him and he has imputed to him all of our disobedience and you think of Jesus' active obedience and all the ways in which he fulfilled the law and his passive obedience and all the ways in which he endured the outpouring of the wrath of God and we are not saying that everybody is, in, is saved here as he reconciles the world to himself. He's saying anyone who comes to Christ in faith will be reconciled to God the Father. 
not counting trespasses against them. But notice, not counting trespasses against them. That does not mean they were not counted. They were counted against Jesus. That's astounding, isn't it? That Jesus took the sin-soaked ledger of our lives from our hands and said, I'll handle this. And so on the basis of that, we look at our world and we have something to say. This isn't a self-righteous thing at all. This is us making known the love of Christ. This isn't us talking from a position where we're talking down to people. This is us getting down on our knees with people and saying, don't you see, don't you hear, don't you know? Listen to what God has done. We're not at a loss for words as long as Jesus is the message. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's given it to us. If the government gave us a message, if you got some sort of thing in the mail and it says you need to go proclaim this to somebody, you probably would. If your boss walks into your office or whatever else and says, hey, you need to go tell everybody this, what are you going to do? If your spouse comes up to you and says, hey, I need you to tell somebody this, what are you going to do? If your parents or your school, see, God has given us the press release. New life in Christ with a new mission that we get to engage. And here we are today. And today in our church life is Engage Sunday. Where we intentionally take time tonight and this afternoon to go and engage with the gospel. To go find somebody somewhere in the sphere of influence that God has already given us. To go engage with the message of reconciliation. And that may mean that you're not going to have a whole conversation about the gospel today. But that does mean you can start the conversation, doesn't it? That does mean you can go see what God is going to do in opening the doors and looking for opportunities and seeing your life, not simply as we've got, you know, these separate spheres of things where it's like, this is my home life and this is my work life and this is my ministry life. No, all of it is ministry. Ministry of reconciliation and we go. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have been given the message, we've been sent to deliver it, and there is no return to sender allowed. We are ambassadors for Christ. He's intentionally using Roman legal language that describes somebody who is going on behalf of a king as a representative to bring warring states to peace with the king. This is the sub and substance of our lives. That's true for the Apostle Paul and Timothy, and that's true for us. So we are ambassadors for Christ when you walk in the door at home. It's not when you, you sort of, you know, let, let it all out. No, you're ambassadors for Christ for your children and for your parents and for your loved ones and your neighbors. And we're ambassadors for Christ when we're at the store and we're frustrated about what's going on there. 
We're ambassadors for Christ at work. We're ambassadors for Christ at the gas station. And all of a sudden, it just changes the way in which we view our lives. Because as we're regarding people, not according to the flesh, and saying, oh, well, I might agree with this person, or I might agree with this person. No, we're saying, no, 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 everybody needs to know about Christ. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of glory. So it changes the way we look at each other. Maybe you've had that experience before where you've gone to maybe a convention or something. And I'll tell you, having gone to the Southern Baptist Convention, right, it's amazing the degree to which you're walking around the room and you're looking at different people and what they'll do is they'll walk towards you, they'll look at your name tag and if you're knowing of any substance, they'll turn around and walk the other way. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but it happens a lot. That's ridiculous. If we are gathered together under the banner of Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. And then as we're looking at those outside, our own faith family, our plea, we are going as ambassadors to say, be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal through us. God's Son by God's Spirit to the glory of God the Father working through us to engage in the ministry that if you want to be used by God, here's a way to do so. Go implore somebody. Be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. See, our message is a plea. There is a sense in which we should embrace the urgency of it because time is short. Every minute matters. Start the conversation now so you don't regret it later. Write the letter. Make the call. Send the message. Send the text. Go visit somebody and implore them because you love them, because Christ loves you and sent you. Nobody's going to take this seriously if we don't. But when we do... We say, be reconciled to God. And it's shocking even reading this because this is written to the church at Corinth. Be reconciled to God? Yes. On the one hand, he knew good and well that just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a believer. Just because you enter the building doesn't do anything if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. So on the one hand, he's saying, be reconciled to God because he knows good and well not everybody in there was a believer. And at the same time, believers need to live reconciled to God. Not flittering away our lives with pet sins in the the closet, whether it's some sort of pride or pornography or self-centeredness or money or covetousness. Remember and enjoy the fact that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The whole idea here is go tell somebody, run to Jesus, not to a pew, not to not down an aisle, not necessarily to the preacher, run to Jesus and be, re- be reconciled to God the Father through him. And in so doing, remember the great exchange that took place on our behalf. Because in verse 21, he says, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Our sin 
was imputed to Jesus. You think of Jesus' life and his perfection and his holiness, never a disgraceful, dishonest, deceitful thought or action. And then we think back about our lives and what a mess of disgraceful, dishonest, deceitful, pride, distrust, and darkness. He, the Father, made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. Now, we need to be careful with our theological language here. Jesus was not made to be a sinner. He knew no sin. He took our sin upon himself so that he would endure our punishment on our behalf. My selfishness, my arrogance, my disregard, all those things, God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus for all who would repent and believe. He knew no sin. Never had he had an unreconciled moment with the Father, and he took responsibility for mine and yours, put his name on it, and for our sake he did it to save us as he endured the punishment against our sin that we deserved. What a Savior we have. But how much confidence does that give us that it really is finished? When we see him for who he really is, look at what he has done so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God, accounted virtuous by virtue of his virtue, accounted righteous, having his righteousness imputed to us as a gift. His righteousness. So we're not walking around fretting over comparing ourselves with somebody else. No, we just say Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is my righteousness. I want to be more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. Jesus took the filth and the blame and we are given life. You see the exchange that took place here? See, so oftentimes we're all about a fair trade, right? You take your car in because you want to go get a new one and you want a fair trade for your car. And maybe you argue back and forth for hours about that. We think about fair trades and as we think about politics, maybe even when you're a kid and you're trading cards and everything else, you want a fair trade for all of what you're doing. Do we see what Christ has done here? Fair would have been to let us all go to hell. God would be just as sin would be punished just as we deserved, but God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. We are clothed and covered in his righteousness that we might become the righteousness of God so that we can stand confident in ourselves and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is freedom for life as it's lived out by grace and it stirs us to be set free from all of the expectations around us to go live on this new mission because of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. What an amazing God we have. Where do you begin? Well, I implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's where you begin. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What does that mean? That means, for one, take responsibility for your own sin. 
Acknowledge the fact that it's not somebody else's problem, it's yours. Acknowledge the fact that you need to be reconciled to God yourself. And the only hope and the only way is Jesus Christ. Who lived in perfect righteousness, who died on the cross for your sin, who rose from the dead. And there's forgiveness and life through faith in him and in him alone. Won't you come to Jesus today, turning away from your sin and trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And for every one of us here who are believers, who walk in the joy of knowing what it means to be born again to a living hope through faith in Jesus Christ, we're ambassadors for Christ. So when we leave this place, let's leave with our heads held high, not because of who we are, because to whom we belong. And that he has sent us not to go wag our fingers in people's faces, but to implore them just as someone implored us, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. However the Spirit works in your heart, this morning, run to Jesus and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for life in Christ. Father, we thank you that as we bring our needs and our concerns and our prayers before you, as we think of all of what we have learned from your word here this morning, Father, I thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we rejoice in the fact that your salvation is so amazing. Stir us to enjoy new life in Christ all the more. And that our new life is not only looking forward, but it's right now in the ways in which you're working out your holiness in our lives and the ways in which you're sending us out to be the ambassadors for Christ, purveyors of hope amongst people who so desperately need it. So Father, we pray that you would stir in the heart of every believer to enjoy you all the more because of the great gift of the gospel. And Father, we pray also for any here who do not yet know Christ. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would bring such a profound conviction of their own sin that they would know of no other thing to say other than have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. That they would cry out in faith, believing that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead, and that they would leave this place Redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, and belonging to you. God, we ask for you to do in us and in this place now more than we can even think possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.